Hello. Welcome to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. Join us each week as we hear from God's Word, as we seek to prayerfully proclaim the crucified Christ as Lord of all. Morning, church. Today we will be reading Genesis chapter 3. We are doing a dramatic Bible reading today. Uh, That just means we will play some characters in the passage. That's why we have so many readers today. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and there was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took off its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And then they saw feet live together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And the dead man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and thus you shall eat. All the days of your life. I will put empty between you and the women, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and but he will he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Clones and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and clothed them. 
Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now this he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove off the man, and in the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, if you completed the chat GOD survey, uh, thank you for doing so. The, the survey that we had with the chat GOD um, was for two weeks around campus, and uh, over uh, a thousand people were asked the question uh, that we had here, and uh, we had over 900 answers to them. So the answers that uh, were the top questions, really, are the ones that we've been trying to address these last few uh, days, this last week. And so whether or not you um, are the one who asked this particular question today, the reality, of course, is that everybody, and we need to confess, we all want to know how to be successful. And so books about how to become successful are often bestsellers in the bookstore. And even churches that give tips and uh, have sermons that focus on how to be successful are very, very popular. But what exactly is success? And what success are we talking about? Success in what? Could what one person think is successful be what somebody else considers unsuccessful? It could, couldn't it? Yes, I, I did it. And somebody says, what did you get? Uh, I passed. I said, pass. What one person thinks is successful, somebody else may think is a failure. And so when we ask the question, how can I be successful, depending on who is asking the question, we might be asking about different things. For some, the question really is, how can I get the highest wham or the best average at uni? For others, the question is really, how can I get rich? And never have to worry about money ever again. Never have to question whether I can afford it. Or maybe the question is, how can I find love? Or how can I make my parents proud? Or how can I make people like me? Or maybe, to put it simply, how can I have everything that I want in life? For different people, when we ask, how can I be, su be successful in life, the answers we want to hear will depend on the type of question we are actually asking. But today, we're not just asking, how can I be successful in life? During chat GOD, during the, this survey that we did, we asked people, remember, if you could chat with God, what would you ask him? And so today, we are answering not, how can I be successful in life? We're asking God, God, how can I be successful in life? And so, as we ask God what he thinks it means and what it means for us to be successful, we need God's help, don't we, to listen to him. So won't you join me or won't you listen as I ask God to help us? Let me pray. 
Father God, we thank you that you are a God who has spoken. And so as I try to explain your word, help me to speak clearly and truthfully, and for all of us to be able to listen to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so today we're looking at the Bible story. God, what would you ask him? Here's the Bible story, and we begin with the creation. Because in a Bible story of creation, the first thing to say is that God actually does desire that we are successful. God desires our success. At the start of this term at Focus Church, we have been looking at the book of Genesis. And we've been working through the first two chapters of the first book of the Bible. And in these chapters, we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And after he made the world, we read that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. That God made the world, that he made this world that we live in, means that he knows what is good. And so when he declares things to be very good, it means when we look out at the sunrise, we're meant to see that it is beautiful. When we walk along the beaches and smell the fresh air, we're meant to say, this is great. When we look into the microscope, or we look through the big telescopes into the universe, we're meant to look and say, wow, God, this is amazing. You are so creative. The world is so complex. And yet it is so captivatingly beautiful, this world that you have made, that you said is very good. And yet the centerpiece of God's creation isn't something that we look through in a microscope or something that we see far away. At the center of God's creation is humanity, is mankind. Creatures that God made and yet said, this is the one in whom they will carry now my image with them. They will bear my image in this world. Creatures, just like the kangaroos, just like the cockroaches, but different from the kangaroos and the cockroaches because we are made in God's likeness. Unlike anything else that God created, humans, God said, were created in His image. So let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and above the, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man. He created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice that when God made man, he gave man a purpose. As the only creatures made in his image, what did God say? They were to rule the other animals on earth as his representatives. They were to look after the world as his caretakers on God's behalf. And what did God do? Well, then God blessed them. God gives them every plant to eat and all kinds of trees that produce food 
as fruit. And God even, did you notice, gives to each plant and each tree the capacity to, to have seeds so that the food does not run out for mankind, for humanity. And when God noticed that even with all these things that he had given to man, and he noticed that one man couldn't do it all, couldn't do the task that God had asked of him, in chapter 2, verse 18, God then even makes from man a woman, a helper fit for him. And so God made for Adam Eve. And we heard last week that Eve wasn't just another man, another Adam. Eve was Adam's complement. She was taken from man so that she can be one with man. She was fit for him, not because she was exactly like him, but because they fit together. That together, through the unashamed, naked sexual union of husband and wife, they could also bear fruit and multiply. They can also, in other words, have children who, along with Adam and Eve, as creatures made in God's image, together they can succeed in ruling and taking care of God's world. Here is God's desire for humanity to have success. Now, I know um, not many people watch TV anymore, but if you ever did, there's a show on TV called Alone. And I heard about it from, uh, I think, the Ungs from Karen and Josh. They started watching this somehow, and they told my family we started watching it. And it's an interesting show because it's a show that really is the opposite of what happened in the garden. Because the whole premise of the show is to see how long a person can survive in the wilderness alone without technology, without tools, without access to filtered water or a shopping sort of supermarket uh, and without help, not even from the help of chat GPT. And of course, the conclusion is that it's very, very, very hard. But can you see then the difference? When God gave humans the privilege and responsibility of looking after his world to be his representative on earth, God didn't leave Adam to be alone. God didn't set it up for Adam to fail. Even before God gave to Adam Eve, think about it. Was Adam really alone? No, he was never alone because God was with him. God was his ultimate help. God gave to man everything he needed to not just survive, but to flourish and succeed. But God also did one more thing to help Adam. In chapter 2, verse 16, God gave to Adam instructions. God spoke to him and told him, one, that he can eat of every tree of the garden. Notice the scope, notice the range, notice the choice of food for Adam. It wasn't like Adam was going to run out. But secondly, God also said of the tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
Friends, what do you think? Were God's instructions clear or unclear? Confusing or ambiguous? Was the label upside down or just a bit blurry and you couldn't see what God was saying? You know, God could have said to Adam, hey friend, buddy, come here. Let me show you. See this garden? See all these trees? Go for it. Try all of them. <laughs> he could have said nothing. He could have lied, but he, he speaks and says something, and he speaks truth. For Adam and Eve, God had given to them everything they needed to succeed. And so even the restrictions he gives to them, and I want to say the restrictions he gives to us, the laws he puts in place, this is God desiring for us to do good, for our own good. He desires our success. This God desires that we, we reach our fullest potential. This is God desiring that we succeed and enjoy the life that he gave to us. But in Genesis chapter 3, in the passage that was read for us, did you see how it all got stuffed up? Did you hear how humanity failed? The answer, of course, is, well, how did they do it? Well, it's sin. Sin is our desire to define success. Look again at chapter 3 of Genesis. You'll have it in your outline or in your Bibles. Now, I don't know um, how you imagine this scene in Genesis 3 as we begin, but did you see the way the serpent sneakily sh shapes the woman's desire to define success? Have a look at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And so he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the first, the first thing that the serpent says, did you notice there, is to ask the question of the woman that tries to make the woman question God and question God's word. Did God actually say asks the snake in reply the woman kind of gets god's word right except for one difference can you see it in verse two and the woman said to the serpent we may eat of the fruits of the trees in the garden that's right and god said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden that's right and then notice what she adds neither shall you touch it lest you die Friends, God never said she couldn't touch the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God never said if anyone touched it, they would die. If you eat it, yes, but not touch. By asking the woman to question God and his word, can you see what the serpent has done? In the woman's mind, God's word is now slowly getting distorted. God's good commands are starting to sound bad. It's harsh. As one author describes it, you've seen the book now, in, in Eve's slight deviation from an exaggeration of God's word and command, we see here the birth of false religion. 
constructing a set of rules around God's commands that go beyond or otherwise deviates from what he has said. In other words, the serpents, it appears, is seeking to paint God as a cosmic killjoy and party pooper. He's starting to make God sound like a bad person. That's what's happening. And then when the serpent realizes that the woman is starting to doubt God's word and starting to doubt God's desire for her success, hear then what the serpent then says next. For here is the final poisonous lie that he speaks to the woman. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You hear the serpent's words? God doesn't want you to succeed. God's just trying to stop you from reaching your full potential. He knows, he knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll be just as wise as God, that you don't, don't need him anymore, that you won't need him anymore. He knows you're not going to die. God's just saying that so that you won't have the success that you deserve, Eve. And so verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, what did she do? She took it and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed big leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Friends, the feelings of guilt... And the feeling of shame, it's awful, isn't it? To realize that you've done what you know you shouldn't have done. To realize that you've hurt and brought pain to others. To have the eyes of those whom you have disobeyed. To have the eyes of those whom you have disregarded. To have the eyes of those whom you have disrespected through your actions or words. Looking at you now, that's the worst, isn't it? At those moments, having done something so stupid, something so shameful, don't you just wish you can disappear? Well, notice what a woman ate. Instead of seeing God's desire for her not to eat the fruit as being part of God's good warning, and good, his good desire for her to succeed, she now saw what is deadly and said, it is good. It became a delight to her eyes. The tree was desirable because the serpent had said it would make her become like God. And so she ate. And her husband ate. And then did you notice those incredibly shocking words in verse 6? Look what it says. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Like, what? What? 
He was with her all that time during this whole conversation between the serpents and the woman. Did you ever wonder, where was Adam? Were you wondering, if the serpent had spoken to Adam instead of Eve, surely he wouldn't have fallen for the same lies. Surely he couldn't have been so easily deceived. Surely not. And then we read that he was with her. And then, boom, boom, boom. Friends, in the rest of the Bible, Eve isn't the only one who is responsible for sin. Both Eve and Adam are said to have sinned. Eve may have been deceived, but Adam, the man, he was the one whom God had given the instructions to. And this is why when God comes into the garden, have a look at verse 9. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? There's a reason why Adam and Eve covered their nakedness and hid themselves from the presence of God. And it's because sin was now in the world. And what is sin? Well, sin is deciding for ourselves what success is for us. It's defining for ourselves what is good and what is evil. It's deciding for ourselves what we want for our own lives without asking God why he made us. Sin is man and woman desiring to define success that is to be like God, to no longer believe God's plans for us, and to doubt God's good word and question his desire for our success. That is sin. And yet, point three, the result of sin is God's judgment. But what is that judgment? Well, in the rest of Genesis 3 and the rest of the Bible, the judgment on sins are strained relationships, sweaty work, and deadly separation. Have a look at chapter 3 again. After God gives the man the opportunity to man up and confess his sin, Adam, where are you? What God gets instead is man blaming the woman. Or really, man blaming God for putting this woman with me in the garden. Then when God turns to the woman, the woman blames the serpent. God then pronounces his judgment on the serpents and the woman and the man. The serpent, God doesn't even give him the opportunity to speak. Notice that according to the Bible, the serpent, or later on in the Bible we know that this is actually Satan, is not an equal match to God. In fact, like everything in the universe, apart from God, he is also a creature. And so for his sin, have a look at verse 14, God puts a curse on him so that he is lower than all the other creatures. But next comes God's judgment on woman. To the woman, verse 15, to verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Notice God's judgment. Notice how it frustrates the very sphere of life, the responsibilities and the relationships that the woman had been created for. 
Why did God make the woman? Remember? Because Adam was alone. And by making woman, not only could humanity now multiply, but together as man and woman, together as one flesh, they were to rule God's word world together. But because of sin, look at what God says is her punishment. Pain in childbearing. Pain in the role of a mother raising the children. And a strained relationship, a sad relationship between her and her husband. The phrase, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, most likely means that the woman will desire to control and master her husband instead of trusting in him for his leadership of her. That's part of the judgment. And sadly, as part of the judgment, her husband will make use of whatever means to make sure it doesn't happen. Gone is the beautiful picture of man holding fast to his wife as one flesh naked and unashamed. And finally, verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Friends, here is the reason why success, even success in our own terms, is so hard. The joy of work and the promise of success which God gave to Adam at the start, well, God is going to frustrate And I'm not just talking about gardens having weeds in them or your pot plants dying, probably because you didn't water it. But things won't work as we hoped they would. Humanity is under the very curse that God had first spoken about to Adam right now. We were meant to rule the world. We were meant to enjoy the world. But technologies crash And even if we are the best, sort of we get the best job in the world and and it feels like real success right now in the world, look again at the last sentence in verse 19 there. The sad reality is that none of us will get to enjoy it forever. Whatever momentary sensations of success, we will all die, says God. But death isn't just physical. It is relational. A deadly separation between God and sinners happened. The moment we decide to become like God, the moment we get to decide, we decided what is good and what is bad. Because at the end of chapter 3, did you read what it says? God drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way back to the tree of life. Friends, here is the Bible's story of why success in this life, according to God's definition of success, and perhaps even ours, cannot happen. But also notice, this is the reason why even success in this life that we think we can achieve gets stopped 
We are frustrated through strained relationships. We are frustrated through the sweaty work that we have to do. And finally, death stops us all. But point four, here is why the Bible's story doesn't just finish with bad news, but with good news, great news. Because the Bible story isn't just about judgment, but it's a story of God's amazing salvation. How? Because in God's kindness, there would come a day when success would be achieved by man. And it comes through the success of not Adam, not me, not you, but from another man, a second Adam, a person whom the Bible will describe as the Son of God. I'm talking, of course, about Jesus. Friends, in chapter 3 of Genesis, there were two verses that we didn't quite look at. The first one is a verse about God's punishment to the serpent. Having cursed the serpent so that he will forever be eating his own dust, if you like, from the earth, in verse 15, listen to what else God promised. God promised that he will put enmity, that is, a sort of faction, a fight between the serpent and the woman, and the serpent's offspring and her offspring. But look at this promise. In that future day, he, the woman's offspring, will bruise your head, says God, and you shall bruise his heel. Here in this verse is a promise by God that in the future, the serpent's offspring, the child of the serpent, will one day fight with the offspring of the woman, and in that process, the woman's serpent will step on the serpent's head. The woman's offspring will bruise, he will step on the serpent's head and crush it. But notice, when he does this, he himself will be bruised. It won't be his head that is bruised, or will be stepped on. That's what will happen to the serpent's offspring. It will be crushed. But as he does so, he will suffer. That's the first verse that we didn't quite look at. Well, here's the second one. In verse 22, sorry, verse 21, notice what it says. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Having sinned, Having been ashamed, God clothed Adam and Eve. Now, why is this significant? Well, it's significant because notice what we learn about God and how he deals with Adam and Eve's sin, guilt, and shame. When Adam and Eve first sinned and felt guilty and ashamed, they remember hid. They tried to cover themselves up. How? Using little leaves from different trees. But here, as God saw their guilt and knew of their shame, what does God do? Well, we learn that God shows kindness. He shows mercy. How? By covering their shame for them. <coughs> but not through leaves that he picked from the trees, but through the death of another life. God gives to Adam and his wife garments of skin, in other words, an animal had to be sacrificed so that the sin of Adam and Eve and their guilt and shame could be covered. 
Friends, the great story of the Bible that focuses finally on the Son of God, Jesus, is this. Every human being had failed, but Jesus was born from a woman and he did not fail. He always lived according to God's words. He always did what God desired to the point that on the night before he was about to die, he said, not my will, but yours be done. And yet, what was God's will? Well, it was for justice, for judgments, and yet for mercy and love. God sends his son to die, not for his own death, but for the death of sinners as a substitute, as a sacrifice for sins. And God raised up his son, Jesus, on the third day so that he might have life and can bring others to life with him. No longer dead in our sins. Here is the Bible story. We fail, but Jesus didn't. And yet his success now is an offer for us to have success also. So as we finish off, what's your story? You see, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. God put him to death in the flesh, but made him alive in the spirit. Friends, what's your story? Is your story a story where you have decided for yourself what success will look like for you? Have you been defining success yourself without turning to God and listening to Him? Friends, that is sin, and that sin deserves judgment. But here's the good news. The good news that all of us need. God has given us a chance to be covered, for our shame and guilt to be dealt with once and for all through the sacrificial substitutionary death of His Son. If up till now, your story has been your own self, defining your own success, well, friends, you face sin's judgment. But here's the good news. Jesus can take your failure for you. He can die the death that you deserve. And if you trust in him, his death covers over your guilt, your sin, your shame. Do you want Jesus to cover you? Well, if you do, won't you pray with me now and ask God to show you mercy and to thank him for Jesus? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much that the story that you show us in the Bible is a story that does not need to end in failure and death for us. We know that we have all failed. We know that we have all sinned. We know that we are guilty and are shameful. And so we thank you for Jesus who always did what you desired and yet died in our place. The righteous for the unrighteous that we might be brought to you.
Father, please forgive us. Please show us mercy and help us to trust and be covered by Jesus. This we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed on your regular podcasting app. And why don't you check us out on Facebook, YouTube, or visit our website at campusbiblestudy.org.